House and Senate have both taken off for their August recess and will not return until after Labor Day. The Senate will return September 5, while the House will not return until September 12. Let's talk about the federal deficit. On Tuesday of last week, the Congressional Budget Office issued a revised forecast projecting that the federal deficit for fiscal year 2023 would come in at $1.7 trillion, the third largest annual deficit in history. Just a few months ago, in May, CBO projected the annual deficit would come in $200 billion less at $1.5 trillion. And that was before the Supreme Court invalidated President Joe Biden's unconstitutional scheme to have federal taxpayers assume the student loan debt liabilities of tens of millions of debtors at a cost of $430 billion. That decision by the Supreme Court will save taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars. Nevertheless, federal spending continues to surge. The single biggest aspect of the spending surge is the 34% jump, that's $146 billion more, in additional costs that the government is spending on interest for the national debt. That's a result of increased interest costs that result from higher inflation. Now, the latest update on the Biden crime family saga. Last Wednesday, House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer of Kentucky released a 19-page memo detailing Biden family financial connections to Russian, Kazakh, and Ukrainian oligarchs. According to the data obtained by the committee, the Biden family received more than $20 million from foreign sources while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. In addition to payments from Russia, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine, the Bidens also received money from Romania and China. Included in those payments was a $3.5 million wire sent from Russian billionaire Yelena Baterina to a shell company called Rosemont Seneca Thornton that was controlled by Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer. Roughly a million dollars of that money was transferred to Archer, and the rest was used to fund a new account called Rosemont Seneca Bohai, which was then used by Archer and Hunter Biden to accept other foreign wires. Shortly after the Russian billionaire wired the money, she got to have dinner in Washington, D.C. with Vice President Joe Biden. That's just one example of many similar instances where a foreigner sent money to Hunter Biden and then was allowed to have dinner or meet with Vice President Biden. On Thursday, House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer said that eventually his committee would subpoena the Biden family itself. Quote, this is always going to end with the Bidens coming in front of the committee. We are going to subpoena the family, he said. Comer said the committee is in no rush to subpoena the Biden family. The committee wants first to speak with three or four other associates of Hunter Biden's, he said. On Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that he had decided to appoint a special counsel to take over the investigation and that that special counsel would be David Weiss, the U.S. attorney who's been in charge of the investigation for the last four years as the U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware. Almost simultaneously, federal prosecutors were filing paperwork with the district court in Delaware that was handling the Hunter Biden case seeking to officially withdraw the plea agreement that had originally been offered to Hunter. The government, said the paperwork, had come to the conclusion that no deal could be reached between the prosecutors and Hunter Biden's legal team, so the only way to resolve the issue would be at trial. 
No indictments have yet been filed against Hunter, though I think it's a safe assumption that he faces serious charges, including felony charges for tax evasion. That's the only reason Weiss would have asked Garland to appoint him special counsel, because the status as special counsel gives Weiss the ability to charge a crime in any jurisdiction, and crimes are supposed to be charged in the jurisdiction in which they occurred. And Hunter's tax crimes, as explained by the two IRS whistleblowers, occurred in Los Angeles and in the District of Columbia. But, of course, saying that's the only reason Weiss would have asked for the appointment is a rather naive view because it totally overlooks one of the other benefits to Team Biden of the appointment. That is, it now gives Weiss the perfect excuse not to cooperate with a House Oversight and Accountability Committee or a House Judiciary Committee that are intent on investigating Biden family corruption. Weiss's status as special counsel now means that he can take the investigation wherever he wants or more importantly, he can avoid answering any questions from inquiring congressmen. He can simply say, sorry, our investigation is ongoing. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to endanger our investigation by answering. So effectively, the appointment of David Weiss to serve as special counsel most likely does not bring the investigation closer to completion and does not bring Hunter Biden and the rest of his family closer to justice. Instead, it serves to further politically insulate the Biden family and, most importantly of all, President Joe Biden from the consequences of their criminal behavior. Some critics have focused on the regulations regarding the appointment of a special counsel to argue that Weiss's appointment is wrong. They are correct. The regulations regarding the appointment of a special counsel say specifically that, quote, the special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government, end quote. That's because the whole point of appointing a special counsel is to avoid a conflict of interest. And you don't really do that if the person you appoint is from inside the government. As a sitting United States attorney, Weiss would seem to be disqualified. But Weiss isn't the first U.S. attorney to be in the middle of an investigation when the Attorney General decided to appoint him as a special counsel. In fact, the previous Attorney General, Bill Barr, appointed a U.S. attorney in the middle of an investigation to serve as a special counsel. John Durham, who spent years investigating the origins of the FBI's crossfire hurricane Russia collusion investigation, and was tapped to serve as a special counsel so he could continue that investigation without having to worry about being fired by a new Attorney General. And Durham isn't the only other U.S. attorney to be appointed in spite of that regulation. Way back in 2003, the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, Patrick Fitzgerald, was appointed special counsel to oversee the federal investigation into the disclosure of classified information that took place when CIA clandestine services officer Valerie Plame's name was leaked to journalist Robert Novak. Now to the latest on the latest Trump indictments. Last Monday, in federal district court in Florida, Judge Eileen Cannon questioned Special Counsel Jack Smith about the constitutionality of his decision to indict former President Donald Trump in Florida based on the recommendations of a grand jury in the District of Columbia. In a brief order, the judge ordered Smith's team to address the legal propriety of using an out-of-district grand jury proceeding to continue to investigate and or seek post-indictment hearings on matters pertinent to the instant indicted matter in this district, end quote. 
Smith has until August 22 to file his response. Then on Friday, federal district judge Tanya Chutkin ruled for Trump over special counsel Jack Smith in the matter of Smith's request to have Chutkin issue a protective order against Trump, requiring him to stay silent on much of the evidence in his trial. Quote, Mr. Trump, like any American, has a right to free speech, she said, but that right is not absolute. Smith had requested the protective order a week earlier, after Trump had posted to his Truth Social account in all caps, If you go after me, I'm coming after you. Trump's lawyers had explained that the message was meant in reference to special interest groups, not witnesses in Trump's cases. And now to this week's episode of The Jenny Beth Show. The latest episode of The Jenny Beth Show debuted last Wednesday, featuring Jenny Beth's interview of Dan Farley, the president of Tea Party AZ. Dan is also a Republican precinct committee man in Arizona and the Arizona GOP Legislative District 4 chairman. Dan is particularly passionate about working to keep our republic, to keep Arizona free, and to grow the number of citizen activists who get off the couch and get involved to make a difference for their communities. It's a fascinating interview. I highly recommend it. And that's our Washington Report for this week.